this meeting to order. Okay, folks, we're back. As you can tell, Amy is not here. Or is she? Amy, yeah. <laughs> Amy is not here. She could not make it this session. So, my husband Chris is filling in. Hello, everyone. So, it is actually Halloween. It is. It is, and uh, trick-or-treaters are going to be coming fairly soon. Anytime, actually. No, not this early. It's still light out. I bet you, I'll bet you that we have at least one before this podcast is completed. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, unless it's really, really young kids. Plus it's Sunday. I know it's Sunday, but it's not going to get dark till 6. Yeah, but kids have to be in bed by 8 on Sunday nights. Well, we'll see. All right. Little kids. I'm sure everyone's really interested about our debate on trick-or-treaters. Well, maybe they are. Maybe. you, You can edit this out. Is there anything that you want to talk about or, or discuss or, or say before we get started? No, I'm just thank you for inviting me and I will I can only contribute as best as I am able. Because I know you're not and just being honest, I mean you're not totally comfortable doing these. No, no, I'm not, but it's for lack of knowledge, so I know I'll learn something today. But uh, and that's my goal is to take away something positive and something informative. So at the very least, I know that's going to happen. Well, I appreciate I really do appreciate it. Let's get started. So unless you want to say the opening prayer, do you want to say the opening prayer? No, I will pass. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, let's say a little prayer before we start in Ruth. Lord, thank you for, for our time here. And please, uh, you know, bless Amy and her family and, and what they're, what they're going through. Just give them warmth and peace and, and all the knowledge that they need. Lord, please guide us every day. Show us how to glorify your name and just to guide us in what we need to do every day. Thank you for our health. Thank you for the food on the table. Thank you for our shelter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First, what we do is we recap what we did last session. So last session we talked about Judges chapters 13 through 21. We finished up the book of Judges. And so what we learned, uh, it was all about Samson. Uh, So we learned about Samson. He was a Nazarite and the Lord was with him, but he stole and he murdered and he did a lot of cruddy things. He was a bad cat. He was, but the Lord was still with him. Which we found really, you know, interesting. But, I mean, you could say the same for us. I mean, we sin every day and the Lord is still with us. Well, is that because for Samson he had an end game, a a goal in mind for him that he was still yet to serve? Well, that's the thing. You know, that's the thing. It's kind of everyone plays their part and has, has a reason, you know, for things that happen in their lives. And sometimes you don't know what the end game is, who it affects. So, yeah, Delilah came into his life, and he fell head over heels over Delilah. She was a Philistine woman, but she was treacherous. And the Philistines had had paid her to find out Samson's weakness because they wanted to, you know, to get a hold of him and make him weak. And eventually, eventually he disclosed what his weakness was, and that was the cutting of his hair. To Delilah. Delilah. Yeah. And so the Philistines came in once they, you know, discovered he was weak. And they gouged out his eyes and took him prisoner. Um, they cut his hair. Yeah, they had to cut his hair first. Oh. Yeah. 
But it was funny because um, Samson knew what she was doing. Like, he knew that she was kind of messing, like, trying to find out, and he would kind of mess with her. I don't know. Uh, we learned about Micah and his idols. We learned about a man from the tribe of Levi. This was a horrible story. A man from the tribe of Levi and his concubine were traveling. And um, so they were in the land of Benjamin. And one of the locals there was like, no, no, you can't stay outside at night. Like, you just come stay with me. And some really, like, bad locals from that town came to, to the man's door and was like, you got to send out, you got to send out the, the Levite and the concubine because we want to do bad things to them. The Levite was like, nuh-uh. And so he just pushed the, he pushed the concubine out and they ended up raping her and killing her all night. It was horrible. So the next, the next day, uh, the Levite chopped up her body in 12 parts and sent it to all the different tribes to say, hey, look what happened. Anyway. What it, was his purpose for that? Well, so the the um, Israelites would kind of band together and get back at the tribe of Benjamin. Oh. For revenge. Okay. But, and they did. Israel kind of banded, they banded together and they they attacked Benjamin, the, the tribe of Benjamin. But they were really sad about it. Um, because, you know, they entered the promised land as one people. So it's, it's like, the, you know, they're attacking their family. Yeah. So that did affect them. Okay, so that's a recap of what we talked about last time. Let's go on to chapter one. Chapter one of Ruth. Uh, it's said in our notes that the story of Ruth takes place toward the end of the period of the rule of the judges. These were dark days for Israel when all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. But during those dark and evil times, there were still some who followed God. Naomi and Ruth are beautiful examples of loyalty, friendship, and commitment to God and to each other. And that's what's, that was so refreshing. This, the book of Ruth is like a palate cleanser. Because that is what we've had, like in the last few books. This one's just nice. Oh. Just nice. We're going to learn about it. Okay. All right. So in chapter one, um, there was a famine in Israel and there, a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons moved to the Moab countryside. Elimelech died. Naomi's sons married Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Ten years later, both of Naomi's sons died as well. Would you mind reading the note... And it is for Ruth, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Friendly relations with the Moabites were discouraged, but probably not forbidden, since the Moabites lived outside the promised land. Marrying a Canaanite or someone from any of the nations who previously lived within the borders of the promised land was against God's law. Moabites were not allowed to worship at the tabernacle, because they had not let the Israelites pass through their land during the exodus from Egypt. As God's chosen nation, Israel should have set the standards of high moral living for the other nations. Ironically, it was Ruth, a Moabite, whom God used as an example of genuine spiritual character. This shows just how bleak life had become in Israel during those days. Mm-hmm. And then in Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah 
by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Um, but on the way to Moab, I thought this was just so sweet. There's so many sweet things in this book. Naomi told Orpah and Ruth that they didn't have to stay with her. You know, she wanted them to go on and live their lives and to, you know, go to their homes because uh, she didn't have any other sons to offer them. And it was all very loving, and Naomi wanted the best for them. At first, Orpah and Ruth were going to stay with Naomi, but Orpah decided to leave. And there was no hard feelings. You know, she just wanted the best. But Ruth stayed. Could you read the note for uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, please? There was almost nothing worse than, a be than being a widow in the ancient world. Widows were taken advantage of or ignored. They were almost always poverty-stricken. God's law, therefore, provided that the nearest relative of the dead husband should care for the widow. But Naomi had no relatives in Moab, and she didn't know if any of her husband's relatives were alive in Israel. Even in her desperate situation, Naomi had a selfless attitude. Although she had decided to return to Israel, she encouraged Ruth and Oprah to stay in Moab and start their lives over, even though this would mean hardship for her. Like Naomi, we must consider the needs of others and not just our own. As Naomi discovered, when we act selflessly, others are encouraged to follow our example. Okay, now in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now, in um, there's we've mentioned it before, there are inserts in our Bible, um, little backgrounds about them. And in the insert for Ruth and Naomi, Part of it said their cultures, family backgrounds, and ages were very different. As mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, they probably had as many opportunities for tension as for tenderness. And yet they were bound to each other. They shared deep sorrow, great affection for each other, and an overriding commitment to the God of Israel. And yet as much as they depended on each other, they also gave each other freedom in their commitment to one another. God was at the center of their intimate communication. Ruth came to know the God of Israel through Naomi. The older woman allowed Ruth to see, hear, and feel all the joy and anguish of her relationship with God. Sharing openly about our relationship with God can bring depth and intimacy to our relationship with others. And and that's true. You know, if you just kind of, you go about your day, you know, you, you, you glorify God in just day-to-day -day things. Like, you're not even really thinking about it. It's just who you are. It does have an effect on other people. Like, you never know who you're going to affect. No, you don't. Positively or negatively. Right, right. I mean, we all mess up. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's never 100% all day, every day. But you do your best. You endeavor. Yeah, you endeavor. Now, would you mind 
uh, reading the note for uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth was a Moabite, but that didn't stop her from worshiping the true God, nor did it stop God from accepting her worship and blessing her greatly. The Jews were not the only people God loved. God chose the Jews to be to be the people through whom the rest of the world would come to know him. This was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was born as a Jew. Through him, the entire world can come to know God. Acts 10.35 says that in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. God accepts all who worship him. He works through people regardless of their race, gender, or national nationality. The book of Ruth is a perfect example of God's impartiality. Although Ruth belonged to a race often despised by Israel, she was blessed because of her faithfulness. She became a great-grandmother of King David and a direct ancestor of Jesus. No one should feel disqualified to serve God because of race, gender, or nationality. And God can use every circumstance to build his kingdom. I thought that was a really important uh, note right there because... I wondered at least, okay, was, you know, was God just kind of focusing on the Jewish people at the time? But he was open to anybody. That worshipped him. Right, right. If they had, you know, I guess a sincere heart and worshipped him, it it wasn't like, oh, well, you're not Jewish, so I'm yeah. not accepting you. Fair enough. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, so um, did you want to talk about anything else for chapter one? That you see, or well, it's it's really irrelevant. But as a sidebar, it sounds like Naomi and her two daughters-in-law did they all lose their their husbands? Yeah, because now remember, Naomi had two sons, which were married. Those were her daughters-in-law, right? And the two sons died. What about her? What about Naomi's husband? He he died too. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know there's a reference to them not going back um, and not knowing whether or not any of. Uh, Naomi's husband's relatives were even alive. Yes. Okay, so yeah, Elimelech was Naomi's husband. He he died. And then Naomi's sons married Orpah and Ruth. Okay. And then ten years later, they died as well. So, I mean, that's sad. Naomi lost her husband and two sons. I mean, that's very sad for Naomi, losing all of that. And then here you are with the two daughter-in-laws, and she wasn't... You know, she could have had a very different attitude about everything. Yeah. But she didn't. She was very loving towards them. Even though she didn't have any other... She didn't have any other sons to give them. Right. You know, they were still nice and they were cordial and loving to each other. Did you have anything else? No. Okay, so let's move on to chapter two. Um, Would you mind reading the note for Ruth chapter two, verse two? When the wheat and barley were ready to be harvested... Harvesters were hired to cut down the stalks and tie them into bundles. Israelite law demanded that the corners of the fields not be harvested. In addition, any grain that was dropped was to be left for the poor people, for poor people, who picked it up, this was called gleaning, and used it for food. The purpose of this law was to feed the poor and to prevent the owners from hoarding. This law served as a type of welfare program in Israel. Because she was a widow with no means of providing for herself, 
Ruth went into the fields to glean the grain. I wonder when they, that, that type of thinking or that type of law went away. You know, where people could go, you know, if you were a widow or if you were poor, you had the opportunity to go and get the food, you know, the, the, the wheat that had fallen. I imagine, without knowing, it was a matter of greed. I mean, because if it was law, and then people just, as with anything, through attrition, people stopped doing it, mm. eventually it becomes the norm. I guess, yeah. It's just like in today's society. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's an, it was a nice thing to do. Yeah. It was a law, but it was also a good thing to do. Yeah. Hmm. It was like it was essentially, like I said, a, so, a social welfare program. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So here, now, that was a good question here. This explains it. So the field that Ruth gleaned in was owned by a wealthy man named Boaz, who was a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. And um, Naomi, was the, Naomi was the one to suggest that Ruth go and glean from from his his crops his fields okay um, boaz was aware who ruth was and what she had done and treated her very well in ruth chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 in part it says but i also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband i have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers may the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge reward you fully for what you have done. So he was he was very loving and compassionate as well. No one in this book is vengeful or two-faced. Um, now we have quite a few notes for chapter two. I'll read a couple of them and then you maybe you can read a couple of them. Sure. Okay, so I'll start with Ruth uh, chapter two regarding verses two and three. Ruth made her home in a foreign land. Instead of depending on Naomi or waiting for good fortune to happen, she took the initiative. She went to work. She was not afraid of admitting her need or working hard to supply it. When Ruth went out to the fields, God provided for her. If you are waiting for God to provide, consider this. He may be waiting for you to take the first step to demonstrate just how important your need is. And Amy and I have talked about this before. Um, and this is something that, you know, we've kind of learned through the years, you know, while studying the Bible or in a Bible study class, is you can't, you know, you can't just sit home and be like, Lord, this is what I want. But then not show any initiative towards wanting that item, towards the goal of getting that item. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a job or this or that, like whatever it is, you know, that you're praying for. Or maybe you're trying to feel better because your knee's messed up. Well, you need to do things to... Help yourself. Help yourself. You know, show that you're, you're, you, this is really what you want. Yeah. And if it is in God's will, all right, you're good to go. I like that. You know what I mean? You have to help yourself. Well, yeah. God will hold your hand. Yeah, but you can't just stay home and be like, "Well, God's not doing anything for me." Well, what are you doing? What are you doing to prepare yourself? Yeah, He works through you, so you have to help yourself sometimes. That's right. Like, I like for this is just on my mind right now, and I don't know why. But if you're if you're trying to find a job, okay, are you going out there every day and seeing what jobs are available? 
Are you updating your resume? Are you, you know, maybe setting a goal? I'm going to send out five resumes every day. Like, are you doing the steps towards that goal? Yeah. To help yourself. Because God will open up those doors, the doors that he needs to open up. But you have to, you have to get that going a little bit, you know. I like that. Yeah. It makes sense. Would you mind reading the note for Ruth chapter 2 verse 7? Ruth's task, though menial, tiring, and perhaps degrading, was done faithfully. What is your attitude when the task you have been given is not up to your true potential? The task at hand may be all you can do, or it may be the work God wants you to do, or as in Ruth's case, it may be a test of your character that can open up new doors of opportunity. We had our first trick-or-treaters, so I had to pause the podcast. Told you. Well, yeah, they're early. It's, it's Five o'clock yeah. on the dot. Yeah. Um, okay, so, okay, so in that note, it said, you know, what is your attitude when the task you've been given is not up to your true potential? And maybe a test of your character then can open up new doors of opportunity. You know, I know with your work, sometimes you get frustrated. Um, you know, I think maybe sometimes you feel like there, there are things that I can do, but you're just not maybe being allowed to do right now. Is that right or? No, that's, that's true. I actually, when reading that, to, to Ruth chapter two, verse seven, was thinking about the very same thing you brought up. I think sometimes it's hard to, re- to remember this and to apply it. But there, I think there are things that, that God does test us with. And there are paths that he wants us to go down that we don't necessarily want to go down. But, you know, he's looking at, at the big picture of everything, right? He's like, Chris, Chris is here. I need him to get to, to point B over here. And I know he's not going to be happy about doing this, but this is where I need him to get. You know what I mean? I, I mean, do. it could apply, it apply to any of us, but I'm yeah. just using you as the example. Absolutely. Where you're like, I'm not, I mean, because Amy and I keep it real on here. You could just be like, I am PO'd. Yeah. I don't want to do this. I know I can do this better. And sometimes you get frustrated at work. But it very well could be that God is going to put you in a position down the road somewhere. Yeah. Where you need to be it here. No, it's true. I think a lot of people are in that situation in in any aspect of life. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about work. Yes. But, you know, in any aspect of life, from getting from point A to point B, you have challenges and they are for a purpose. Whether or not you know that purpose, that's only for God to know. But, you know, I when I read that, I was thinking exactly the question or question you the question you brought up and I was thinking about Am I living up to my true potential? Uh, am I doing my best? I'm thinking about, you know, what I could be doing better. And I'm also thinking about what's being asked of me in terms of the task. Am I up to it? So it, it's thought evoking. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and it's something we could all apply. All of us. Absolutely. No matter what you're doing, whether you're a housewife, whether you're out with your job, whether you're, it doesn't even matter who you are or what you're doing. We could all apply it. Yeah, I agree. Because we all get frustrated. And and I think we've all hit that point where it's like, what what is going on here? Yeah, 
I've asked myself that. <laughs> <laughs> I've almost just thrown in my cards a couple times. Yeah. You know, I haven't because I have the responsibility. Yeah. But there's been a couple days, more than a couple days, where I've just wanted just to turn in my keys and walk away. Yeah. But, you know, in times like that, not just you, but in times like that. In times like that. It's so difficult to go through because because one can get so frustrated. But there is a purpose for it. So it's like, okay, like whenever stuff like that happens to me, it's like, okay, I know down the line something's going to come of this. I may even not know what it is directly, but something's going to come of this. Yeah, I look at the immediate variables yeah. and what's in, what's in my face, for lack of a better way of saying it, what's in my immediate view and purview, and what I can do and what I can't do. And I see those challenges and how they develop me and my character. But I also know that there's probably, not probably, that there must be a larger purpose that it's serving. Just not knowing what that is is can be frustrating. Sure. And... Uh, you know, wondering how long you're going to be putting up with particular situations. You know, does God, does God want you to ride it out? Does, is it in God's will that when you think you're going to throw in the cards and quit that you're supposed to? Is that God putting that thought in your brain? Is God saying it's time to quit? That's a great question. You know, <laughs> or are you supposed to eat, I got to watch my language. Eat are crow. you supposed to eat crow and just keep sucking it up for a month, a week, a month, years? Or are you supposed to eventually say enough is enough and throw on the cards and see what's next in life? Isn't, that is just, that's a huge question and it's an important question to put out there because I think almost all of us have, have gone through that. Yeah. What, what am I supposed to do here, Lord? I think in situations like that, you just, you have to pray. And just be honest with God and say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. What are you trying to tell me here? Yeah. Because it, it, it can get very frustrating. I, so many things. What, what what am I supposed to do? What's my purpose? Yeah. What, what do you want? Where am I supposed to be? Exactly. And maybe in a situation like that, you just have to take it day by day. Yeah. But day by day becomes week by week, becomes month by month, becomes year by year. That is true. That which, is which true. Which begs my original question. That's true. I think you just have to be diligent in, in praying every day and being and just and I think doing your best. I think bringing your best. Yeah. Is the most. I'll, I'll finish my thought. Be doing your doing your best, whether or not you're living up to expectations of. We're still talking about work jobs, and it applies to everything. But with respect to that, doing your very if you're if you can honestly assess yourself and say that you have given a hundred percent yes that's the best you can do and whatever happens happens Mm -hmm. and that's there are elements that are out of your control and so i move forward giving my best and seeing where i assess myself and see where i can give more where i'm not giving a hundred percent maybe i'm giving maybe i think i am until i reassess and then i decide then i determine that i've maybe only been given 90 percent, not by design yeah but in fact, I come up with a better process or there's a more efficient way of doing something that I hadn't thought of before. And it's like, I got it. I have a more efficient way. So I, in that capacity, I, I thought I was giving 100%, but, and, and I was giving 100%, but 
but I found a better way to do something because I want to do better all the time. So in that capacity, assessing oneself and not just the situation. Mm-hmm. And so instead of letting it, it's a combination of you can fall into like one of three areas. You can think all this is happening to me and I'm just a victim or you can take control and do a hundred percent, be a hundred percent of who you are and what you're capable of being or fall somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm in, I endeavor every day to give a hundred percent and don't always succeed. Uh, but it doesn't mean I don't try. Well, that's all you can do. Make the, the people around you or, or the area around you a positive experience. Yeah. That's true. And and glorify God in, in, in any way you can. And I and I do. I'm, I'm good to those that I work with and uh, who work with me. And uh, it's not important necessarily to be liked, but it's a it's a representation of how well you're doing your job. It's a it's a measuring stick, if you will. Byproduct. A byproduct of how good of a job you're doing. If you have a good work environment. Mm-hmm. And those around you are giving 100% because they see through example. Yeah. You lead by example. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, I'll leave with this. Is, uh, is something, it's one of those things where I, I say it all the time, and when you want to say it, you forget it. But you can't demand respect. It has to be earned. Yeah. So you do that by leading, by setting the example. That's not, right. Not just by mandating it. No, and then that, another byproduct of all that is... A positive culture within your area. Yes. You know, and that can be whether it's your home, whether it's work, whatever the situation is. Yeah. You want a, a positive culture around you. Now, listen, it's not going to be all cherries and rainbows. All the time? All the time. No. That's life. But for the most part. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about there? No, I'm good. Okay. So let's move on to chapter three. Naomi showed Ruth how to present herself to Boaz, who was a close relative and then possible provider for Ruth. She followed Naomi's advice, and Boaz continued to demonstrate he was a trustworthy man. Could you please read the note for Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9? I know it's a long one, but there's good stuff in there. Well, it's a good stuff thing. Well, hold on. Is it just that? Yeah, the notes for Ruth chapter 3. That's not too much. As widows, Ruth and Naomi could only look forward to difficult times. But when Naomi heard the news about Boaz, her hope for the future was renewed. Typical of her character, she thought first of Ruth, encouraging her to see if Boaz would would take the responsibility of being the, quote, family redeemer. A family redeemer was a relative who volunteered to take responsibility for the extended family. When a woman's husband died, the law provided that she could marry a brother of her dead husband. But Naomi had no more sons. In such a case, the nearest relative to the deceased husband could become a family redeemer and marry the widow. The nearest relative did not have to marry the widow, if he chose not to. The next nearest relative could take his place. If no one chose to help the widow, she would probably live in poverty the rest of her life because in Israelite culture, the inheritance was passed on to the son or nearest male relative, not to the wife. 
The laws for gleaning and family redeemers helped to take the sting out of these inheritance, inheritance rules. We have a family redeemer in Jesus Christ who, though he was God, came to earth as a man in order to save us. By his death on the cross, he has redeemed us from sin and hopelessness and has, here, and has thereby purchased us to be his own possession. This guarantee this guarantees our eternal inheritance. Mm-hmm. Now, it talks about also in the notes, Naomi, uh, because when Ruth went to Boaz, when you know, as when you're reading it, you're like, that's kind of a strange, that's kind of a strange thing to do because the the process was like Ruth going to lay by Boaz's feet while he was sleeping. Like it seems a little maybe sensual and stuff, but it it wasn't supposed to be taken that way back then, because she had to like go and lay by his feet, and it was a whole thing. So here's a note regarding that. Naomi's advice seems strange, but she was not suggesting a seductive act. In reality, Naomi was telling Ruth to act in accordance with Israelite custom and law. It was common for a servant to lie at the master's feet and even share a part of his covering. By observing this custom, Ruth would inform Boaz that he could be her family redeemer, that he could find someone to marry her or marry her himself. It was family business, nothing romantic, but the story later became beautifully romantic as Ruth and Boaz developed an unselfish love and deep respect for each other. So did you have any thoughts or anything about Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's something that, you know, it's just how it was back then. Yeah. No, I have nothing else to say other than that was interesting. Okay. All right, so chapter four. So now Boaz is aware that, you know, he's been approached to be... The Redeemer. The Redeemer for Ruth. But Boaz knew, and I don't think Naomi and Ruth knew, but there was another closest, there was a closer relative than him. So Boaz went to town to talk to this relative. And he explained the situation to him, gave him the opportunity to provide for Ruth and he would also have the opportunity to purchase the land once owned by their relative Elimelech which who was Naomi's dead husband husband. right and in Ruth chapter 4 verse 5 it says then Boaz told him of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite widow that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family that would somehow endanger his own estate and all of that on his end, so he declined the offer. And Boaz was happy, he was happy, I think, you know, that it worked out that way. And so he became the, the redeemer for R- Ruth. They married, and they had a son named Obed. Would you mind reading the note for chap- Ruth chapter 4, verse 3? Boaz cleverly presented his case to the relative. First, he brought in new information, not yet mentioned in the story. Elimelech, Naomi's former husband, still had some property in the area that was now for sale. As the nearest relative, this man had the first right to buy the land, which he agreed to do. But then Boaz said that according to the law, if the relative bought the property, he also had to marry the widow, probably because Milan... Ruth's former husband and Elimelech's son had inherited the property. 
At this stipulation, the relative backed down. He did not want to complicate his inheritance. Whatever his reason, the way was now clear for Boaz to marry Ruth. I think he was kind of proud to, to be the family redeemer in that situation. Yeah. Proud, or was he... Or was he... It says cleverly. Yeah. Presenting his case. Was he... Did he lie, or was he twisting it to... Because he wanted Ruth? I, It's possible that... Yes... But not for malicious reason reasons. Maybe he liked her. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think his intention was, well, I'm going to word it this way because I want all the property and this and that. I think it was it was all done maybe out of love or respect for her. Yeah. But I don't think there was any ill intent there. Maybe he was trying to kind of skew it so he would have the upper hand. Okay. But, but not for malicious reasons. Yeah, no, not for malicious reasons. Yeah. But for his own reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the way it's coached and he, Boaz cleverly presented his case. Yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of alludes to... I want this more than you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, but I'm going to word it in this way. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed how they ended the Book of Ruth. I like the last note that they provided. To some, the Book of Ruth... Maybe just a nice story about a girl who was fortunate, but in reality, the events recorded in Ruth were part of God's preparations for the births of David and of Jesus, the promised Messiah. Just as Ruth was unaware of this larger purpose in her life, we will not know the full purpose and importance of our lives until we are able to look back from the perspective of eternity. We must make our choices with God's eternal values in mind, taking moral shortcuts and living for Short-range pleasures are not good ways to move ahead. Because of Ruth's faithful obedience, her life and legacy were significant, even though she couldn't see all the results. Live in faithfulness to God, knowing that the significance of your life will extend beyond your lifetime. The rewards will outweigh any sacrifice you may have made. What happened to Naomi? Naomi was still involved with, with Ruth and like cared for her their son and... So she was still, everything was still was good. St- still, they were still connected. She was still part of the family. Yes. Even though she was the eldest. Yes. She would she, come she and like. She was the mother-in-law. Yeah. She would still come and like care for the son and, you know, the young son. Uh-huh. Very nice. That is nice. That's all I had. That's all I had for the Book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. Hey, what a perfect time for me to sit in. A little sampling. A little sampling. A little aperitivo. A little, uh. What do they give you before dinner? Appetiz- appetizers. Yeah. yeah. Mozzarella steak. Yeah. You wanted to sit in on the mozzarella steak? I wanted to get in on the fried ravioli. Oh. You don't see that very often. No. But I hear they have them at uh, Anesso's. Fried ravioli. That might be okay. Dipped in a little marinara? Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. We digress. Yeah, well, it's okay. Amy and I do that a lot as well. Do you? Yeah. We have to go back to Anesso's and have dinner there. Okay. I imagine one of the dipping sauces has to be like a marinara sauce. Yeah. That's what I just said. Is that what you said? You did. I did. See how well you listen? I do listen. Sometimes things just go right out one ear, though. And now, when I tell you that, that's <laughs> unacceptable. Don't you listen to me? I do listen to you, but I forget things. <clears throat> 
right, I need to give out some information here. Would you please? All right. So our email is basicbiblestudy19, the number 19, at gmail.com, facebook.com, slash mybasicbiblestudy, and then the website is mybasicbiblestudy.com, and you can find all of the uh, links on there. Now, for next time, I don't know if you'll be with us next time. Now for next time. Now for next time. Uh, we start First Samuel. So that's the book. It's in we like we're not making fun or anything. It, there's a, the number one. It looks like it says one Samuel, but you say it First Samuel. Does that infer that there's more than one Samuel? Correct. Or just the beginning of Samuel. Well, no, no, no. There's also a second Samuel. Different. Different book. And a different Samuel. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I oh. think it's the same Samuel. Oh, okay. I follow. But that's how you say it. So if, it looks like one Samuel, two Samuel, but you say it first Samuel, second Samuel. First Samuel, second Samuel. Right. Oh, anyway, so we're going to be talking about first Samuel chapters one through three. All right. Samuel is a big book. It has a lot of chapters in it, so we're just kind of going to take our time and go through it. All right. Well, whether Amy is back or... I am here. I look forward to your next offering. Do you? I do. All right. That's very nice. Thank you for sitting in. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, folks. Um, remember, email us if you have any prayer requests or, or questions or comments. And we will catch you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>